that you know make them a, a little bit behind something. And then the military people are always five minutes early. They're always waiting there with, with their notebook, ready to got it down, and, yeah. and she kind of appreciates that, you know, because they, you know, so. Trained to be ready. Yeah. But if they were taught on time, was five minutes late, so. I'm always early because, as a child, we were never on time for anything because there were so many of us that we were never on time. So, boy, when I became an adult, it's like, I am going to be on time. Hello, John. Childhood reaction. Good morning, John. Nice to see you. All right, then. I think we're at 10.30. Let's pray. Unless the Lord has caused all the scriptures written for our learning, grant to me in such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, you may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we, we talked last week about the resurrection, and when we talked a little bit more about that, we didn't uh, do all of Corinthians. We're picking up on the second section of Corinthians. And the kind of idea here is, is to be clear about what our hope is. Um, um, Because I think, again, I want to I, I talk about this a lot, but it, it bears repeating. I don't think Christians really understand what the Christian hope is. And I think there are significant ways in which it um, undermines the practice of faith in life. Because there's a tendency to see salvation is some kind of idea which lives along, okay, I'm going to die, and then God let us go to some place called heaven, about which there's not, is certainly better than hell, we know that. And so salvation is kind of seen as this thing that's not there, but it doesn't have any intrinsic relationship in many people's minds to um, the life they live in the body right here and now. And um, it, it's, it's interesting, I, I don't want to get too far afield here, but there's this, there's this writer uh, who's written a, a, a thick book, but a good book about the modern condition called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, uh, Carl Truman, um, who I, I got a chance to hear over the weekend. Um, Is that good? Yeah, it's good. To, uh, he, one of the points he, he, he was really... Um, but it, it highlighted for me um, what he deals with is the idea of identity, you know, especially this rampant gender identity issue. It's not a how stupid that it, it's it's about where this comes from, and it comes from um, historically we were who we are who we are. We define our identity in relationship to God and other people, and that comes together clearly in the body of Christ. And it absolutely pertains to our the idea of gifts we were talking about. Who are you? Well, you're a child of God, a member of the body, and what you contribute is connected to your gifts. And when you operate in that, there's a fulfillment and appreciation you receive from others, give to others. And so identity is rooted in, in God 
But in the modern world, identity is kind of be rooted within ourselves by reference to God. As we, we, we start with, what do I want? And what do I, um, or what do I feel like? And, and this is really the genesis of a new gender identity. And, and Truman makes a point that it's really very new that, that, that sexuality had such a role in identity. The church always knew that, that sexual desire is strong and determinative, but it, it was never who you are. I mean, you're, you're clearly a, a male or female in that sense. But, but the genesis of this is this. Yeah, and and but what, what Truman said that struck me was that a lot of this has resulted from isolation and, and a sort of disembodied sense of life. That, that And a lot of this, this identity confusion is the result of people not being connected, being online a lot, and, and determining who they are. Um, and so the, the, the essential Christian thing, to, just to contrast here, is that a secular world, that is a world bounded by the temporal in which you live from birth to death, and you may be think you have something after, but you're not really sure, but it's not your big deal, what you want to do is get happy now. Uh, and so you pursue these things that you think will make you happy now, what you desire without any reference point to that which is beyond just what you're looking at, or maybe it is provoked by something on your screen or something. Um, and but that but there's no sense of a transcendent this thing I'm I am or going after is something that that is is continues beyond this life. It's it's where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is an unfortunate, you know, if we if if it so Christianity doesn't teach that. It teaches that we as embodied people are our life story begins in Christ in baptism and that life is embraced by faith. Its end point is the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. And so everything that happens in the body, everything we experience in that framework is, is interpreted in terms of how it is helping us progress towards an ultimate telos. Because what we know, if we say, what do I want? What we, we know in Christ, what we deep, most deeply want is union with God. We want to, um, and we experience that now in Christ with the gift of the Spirit in our life of prayer. And so what we want is not like to get out of this body and go to some spiritual place. The, the, full, the Christian longing is really... It's the idea that we have the Holy Spirit within us, which is a taste of the ultimate. Uh, St. Paul says in Romans, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, waiting for the adoption. Because in the Spirit, we have some sense of what it means to be connected to God and alive in a body. But we're still not there yet. It's this body, this body won't be it. But, but the life that we long for is related to a body, and we're getting this today. And it's very, very important to say, well, we want Jesus to come, yes, to complete what I deeply long for in my body, 
and to, to give me my resurrection body, and then to have a new creation, the completion of creation, in which every good thing is magnified and every bad thing is gone, uh, because sin is finally conquered. And Christians don't connect, therefore, the daily longing with the longing for Christ in resurrection. And this separates life and the body from something called salvation, which makes it seem like kind of an insurance policy. Yeah, I'm you know living life in this world, trying to be happy. Oh yeah, but I'm saved. So, but but there's not an intrinsic connection of daily life and, and, and activity to the fact that no, this is where I'm going. And I think it's the resurrection hope that that does that, and the fact that we we believe in the resurrection of the body, and that would be the body of Christ, the Church. So what we enjoy together in the church as a body, the fellowship fund, the, the, you know, the, the growth in knowledge, the service, that is something that has a fulfillment where, where it's no longer to be lost by death or, by, or, or we losing that kind of thing. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but this is why yes. the resurrection of the body is so, so important. It is what we long for. We don't long to die and go to heaven. And quite frankly, I, I just, I, I don't like to be, you know, I mean, unduly cynical. Obviously, when we die and the body is buried, we want to be with Christ. We call that heaven. That's great. But very few of us are able to long for a, a perpetually disembodied state. Even when we, as we age and lose some things, we, 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 we don't want to get rid of them. We wish we could, we wish we had the strength we had before. I want a new one. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's the point. You don't, nobody, nobody who, 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 who enjoys life in the body can long for a life that doesn't have a body. Now, if your body is very sore and sick and painful, yeah, you want to be free from that. But, but, but Christian freedom, not freedom, it, it's the restoration. Yeah. And the healings of Jesus are a sign of that restoration. Um, where he, he man's paralyzed by the pool of Bethesda, can't walk. And that's, that's a sign of resurrection. It's only temporal there because he, you know, he, he gets sick again. But, well, so. even with Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection, and then he resurrects him. Yeah. Right. So as I pre-read this passage again before coming here, I can see where coming from my evangelical dispensational background can easily get confused of the, the difference between the natural body and the spiritual body being raised up for the future. And, and so let's, let's jump in and, and clear up our confusion. All right. That's, that's <laughs> all right yeah. So we're at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. Uh, that's the section that, that, that we're starting with today. Um, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? So it's quite, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, there's all sorts of absurdities, or apparent absurdities about the resurrection. What would be some of them? What happened? Okay, we bury people who, who have been to funeral. Sure. Yeah. Well, so a uh, uh, hundred years from now, that person we bury, what's, what's their body going to be like? Dust. Dust. What happens if they die in fire? How's God, how's God going to put that back together? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm asking. I mean, these are questions that are not 
unimportant right. in considering right. resurrection. So, yeah. Yes. I remember in high school it being so controversial. I went to Roman Catholic high school about cremation being forbidden by the church for that very reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, cremation. And they overturned it eventually. I, I want to, something we should be very clear about cremation isn't forbidden because we think that God has trouble resurrecting yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. It's cremated. Cremation historically been not Christian. Right. Because it, it 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 suggests that what we ought to do at death is get rid of the body. Christians have always, in every possible way, reverenced the body. So very yeah. utilitarian. Just get rid yeah. of the body. I mean, now it's because you know, of course, we have an industry that costs a lot. But but you know, and anyway, we don't. We do. I I bury people who've been cremated. I I people. We ask me. I prefer to have your body. Mm -hmm. As much of it as possible. <laughs> Even Roman Catholic Church, I don't think, forbids uh, it. Uh, oh, the Orthodox Jews do absolutely forbid it. Because that's a resurrection hope. Oh, right. In which we inherit. So we don't think it's it's the science of how God will not be able to raise the dead, because if that were so, you know, people who die in plane crashes or, or right. uh, who are duck, or even we have people historically like. Um, uh, 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 the Protestant Oxford martyrs who were burned in the middle of the street, you know, people still. So it isn't a matter of God can't put you together unless we save the parts. Mm. It's a matter of how we give visible expression to the hope of resurrection by referencing the body. And that's, you know, it's been a biblical thing forever. I mean, if you remember um, when uh, the Philistines killed Saul on the battlefield um, and put his body on the wall of Bashan that David commended the four men who traveled all night to take the bones down and give it a decent burial. And, and so this is, uh, so, and, and it, for, for me, it, it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's more just, it, it suggests the way that, 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 that modern faith has been co-opted by sort of secular and utilitarian concerns. They're economic things, but, um, but we should, in death, express our hope of resurrection. Maybe people tell me, oh, I don't want anything big happen to me. It's like, it's not really just about you. Yeah. And this is the, this is the, you know, I've had, I've had the, it's, it's frustrating because I've had people, we just, we just had a beloved member die, just insisted nothing. Mm. So nobody got to have anything. I hate that. And, mm. all right, well. And, and, that's the individualism and in the sort of, of, of modern Western culture. It's like, you know, we don't, we are members of a body, yeah. you know, uh, and, and we're, we have a responsibility as well as benefits from the body. We have responsibility to it and that mutuality, you know, so, so, uh, anyway, so there, there's, so, so the point is there are legitimate questions. How, how does this happen? And so verse 36, he says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. So he's going to start, this is, he's going to get, start getting into um, the analogy to nature. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps, wheat or some other grain. So this idea that... Um, what you sow doesn't come alive until it dies. Um, 
this is sort of a phenomenon of a tree that has seeds in its fruit, that it's when it dies, gets disconnected from the tree and branches falls to the ground, those seeds go in and then begin to grow again. So the, the phenomenon that that um, what dies, that the death is the beginning of life, is a natural, it's a phenomenon in nature, especially in, in um, bees and things like that. Yeah, and it's not a spiritual, I mean, they don't, the seed doesn't rise up to some spiritual entity, it's a physical. That's true with plants, it's not true with animals. Well, well, in a, in a, I suppose, um, yeah, well, like it, but animals are in the same boat we're in, yeah. in terms of, of, there's no, there, there's cycles of corruption, decay continue until the resurrection and they're stopped. There's a, you know, a fairly significant debate about what place animals will have a new creation. C.S. Lewis has some musings on that, but, um, there's technology. You, you don't get to, um, we don't know, but, but we know that, yes, there's futility in it. But the point is that the seed that dies and goes in the ground that eventually produces a whole other giant tree, mm -hmm. the relationship of the seed that goes into the ground to the tree, this didn't look like much. So it's the point is that if, if this body in which the Holy Spirit is planted is the seed of the resurrection body, the fact that it's a, it's, it, it doesn't maybe look very much like what it will be, but bears some resemblance. Now, why would we suggest that, the, that our body now bears some resemblance to the resurrection? So we know each other. More biblical. So who's, who's the um, model for our resurrection? Jesus. So when he rose on Easter, what do we see? What does he show them? His wounds, which suggests that this body bears some memory and relationship to that body. So we don't, we're not losing our story, as it were. Right. We um, might have some missing parts, though, right? No. But I, mean, I read I read from some like Christian mystics and stuff that were that a lot of people will just try to dress up the seed and go look at how great I am and it's just like no that seed has to go into the ground the shell has to come out and so God put the DNA in us yes. as a soul as a body for that to grow into the tree that bears fruit so that's what we're meant to do but so many Christians we just stay and we try to shine up the seed form. <laughs> That's what I see. But I so, want to always learn more about what that is. So, so the idea, the idea that the, um, but I also think it, it leads to a spiritual teaching of St. Paul, again, that okay. doesn't loom large in our culture, that um, though the outward man is perishing, your inward man is being renewed day by day, that the idea that we, we live in this world and bodies with this paradoxical new phenomenon, dual phenomenon, that, that our growth in Christ moving forward, works opposite our body, which is decaying. Mm -hmm. And, but, but, but this life is breaking through it, and God means that, that the life sown in this body has a destiny in another body, mm -hmm. not just this, this mm -hmm. body state. 
Let's move on. So well, I like what Paul that Paul uses a seed or just uses yeah. what we're what we experience in our everyday life because it's not so foreign to this whole idea is not so foreign to us. You know, really if we think it about is it. if we know never garden. <laughs> like I'm just saying. Or watch butterflies come out, you know, yeah. whatever. That's <laughs> right. But God gives it a body as he pleases, verse 38, and we see its own body. Of course, you know, God who created the processes creates what the seed looks like and what the end product will look like. Yeah. The, the analogy to nature is just to see that what God created in nature can point in some way to what we understand in the resurrection. <clears throat> All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men another kind of flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. So there are different kinds of bodies. There's a distinction between bodies. So the idea that there would therefore be a distinction between this physical mortal body and our spiritual resurrection body is already seen in that there are different kinds of bodies. Things that we go into that. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. <clears throat> um, The idea of, of, a, of a heavenly body, of course, you know, could be, um, you know, a planet or something like that. It could also be that the 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 way in which uh, spiritual beings are are uh, embodied. I mean, we we they're not human, but we do believe that that angels have an existence that that has mm -hmm. some form, mm -hmm. and that that would be a celestial body. And the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. And he goes on to, to speak specifically, we have one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from another in glory. So the point I think St. Paul is simply highlighting here is that, um, that the idea that there's a resurrection body that's different from this body, but related to it, is not, it's just, you know, all kinds of different bodies. And, and they vary in glory. All right, so we'll look different than the angels. We're not we'll be very distinct from there. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Okay, verse one, just like that. The body is sown in corruption. What does corruption mean? Decays. Yeah, decay. So corruption, mm -hmm. we always have corruption scandals when someone took a bribe. It doesn't mean that, it means decay. Yeah, I've got perishable. Yeah, perishable. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. Um, we try to create as much honor as we can in the body, but there are a lot of things that just happen that here we are in this body. <laughs> so I say a lot to myself. <laughs> it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. I, I think about that line I quoted on Sunday from um, St. Paul when he, he, he said, um, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And somehow the, the growing weakness of the body which, which makes us aware of our dependency on God is part of our spiritual progress, mm -hmm. which means that, again, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to stay in shape, <laughs> but it, it does mean that the, 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 um, 
way in which our world <clears throat> tries to hold on to youth at every and any cost is distinctly non-Christian. And, and, and letting go uh, of, of, of the temporal in order to embrace the eternal, that trajectory of spirituality is, is implicit in, in what he's saying here. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in natural body, it is raised in spiritual body. Here we go. So, <clears throat> I'll finish this, this what is the paragraph for me, and then I'll, I'll talk about it. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So let's talk about what is meant by a spiritual body here. Um, clearly, so so I, I think we, as we meditate on this, we, we have to reflect on the one resurrection body we've seen, that of our Lord's. Mm -hmm. So what is it in the resurrection appearances of Jesus that suggests that there's a physical component to the spiritual body? Eight fish. Yeah, fish. fish. And honeycomb. Honeycomb. And uh, people could touch him. Okay, who, so who touched him? Well, the disciples? Mary was hanging on to him. Yeah, <laughs> right, Mary. Yeah. yeah. And Thomas? Thomas, come here. Reach, reach here your fingers. And, and whether he did or not, it's another Reach story. here. Uh, and, um, and in Luke's account, he says... Um, Touch me and see, because a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Doesn't say anything about blood. It doesn't say anything about blood. He, but, he, but he also came in through the wall. That's right. Yeah. So the dimension of reality. Now, of course, we know people say it's like, well, most, most doors are like mostly air. Right, with atoms. But... <laughs> But I think there's there's dimensional reality that we have to just yeah. suspend our uh, un unnecessary conclusions about. But um, but it it's, it has bones, not blood. So that's kind of a, a theory of mine. Yeah. Uh, this whole contrasting blood. Now, where what is the role of blood in the Old Testament? Life. Life is in the blood. Um, which is is the point of offering blood in sacrifice. You think of it, you're offering death, but, but biblically you're offering life. <clears throat> it's the life that is offered, uh, not, not the death. And, and so, um, but blood then, as a result of the fall, comes to be the life principle of, of Adam and his descendants. And flesh and blood is mortal. So, and I think it is our blood that is, you know, that life as a life force has a certain role in our decay. Um, so, perhaps with, with the idea of the resurrection body is that whereas the, the uh, though um, God breathed in the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. He became a living being. The blood was sort of the life principle. And now it, it seems like maybe the, the principle of life and the resurrection is the spirit that 
animates us instead of the blood. Um, so Jesus had flesh and bones. He didn't have flesh and blood. There's no sense that there's blood in his makeup. In his resurrected body. Yeah, his resurrected body. So the spirit is who animates him. Which, of course, um, Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, which, which has all kinds of Trinitarian. Yeah, sure. But we're given the spirit, so there's the life force of the spirit with us is the real life. The, 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 the flesh and blood part is dying. The spiritual part then reaches its seed, its full form, and, 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 the, and the, the, the DNA, as it were, the memory of who we are is known by Christ because God knows his children. Um, he knows his sheep by name. So the, the um, and we remember then that um, in Genesis, God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, but in John's gospel, the upper room on Easter, Jesus breathed on the disciples. <clears throat> said, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and with that, he gave it. He said, you sins you forgive, they are forgiven. You sins you retain, they are retained. Because forgiveness through the gift of the Spirit and reconciliation with God is the gift of resurrection life. Now sins are forgiven. You can be restored to union with God through the forgiveness of sins. Which becomes the, 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 the kind of... Um, our sins are forgiven. Um, what happens is if we go back and cling to them and fall back into them, we, we inhibit the progress of the life we've been given in the spirit. And the question, you know, uh, you know the perennial question, how much can we inhibit it and still have? life in the spirit, but this is a question for Jesus to answer. <laughs> but um, this is why the discipline of confession is continually letting go of the parts that don't really pertain to the identity of Christ so we can grow in who we are in. Because there's an intrinsic connection in who we are now in the body and who we will be in the so we're, we're moving towards that ideal. And to the degree we hold on to things that are here that are not part of that life, it is a distraction. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it also robs us, don't you mm -hmm. think? It robs us from, from becoming who we're designed to be. That's right. It robs us from, which I think is the rewards in having, you know, related to that. It robs us. Yeah, I mean, I think this. I think I, I think Diane's on something important there because it, it helps us to understand why salvation is a free gift, and yet there are also rewards that um, you could you could um, say that you know every player is on the team. But the, pra the player who practices and focuses will grow as a team member and be a stronger team member than the one who neglects all those things. So there's an organic growth in who we are that has uh, a reward at the end of it. Uh, but 
you can only be in that in that realm of reward if you are in Christ in the first place. Yeah. And so St. Paul has this passage where he says, um, he's talking about the church, where he says, um, uh, each man's work will be, each one's work will be tested by fire, and the fire will reveal the work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built is burned up, uh, he will, he, he, he kind of loses the reward, he'll be saved. This so in other words, if you live an, an unfruitful life in which you're focused on things that are not in the kingdom, you're not building something, you're not producing fruitful labor that has a reward, uh, but you may, so you may, you may get in, but there won't be the sense of... So, I could see that, that, <clears throat> that man's nature, man woman's nature, human nature, would, would focus on, oh, I want to get those rewards in heaven, because there's some kind of hierarchy in heaven. It's not going to motivate you. Well, but let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> no, no, I, I get let's, it. Let's talk about this yeah. because there's all kinds of paradoxes. Yeah, right. So the minute we talk about rewards, God makes we, it that way. The minute we talk about rewards, what do we think about? Egotism. Egotism. Well, okay, yeah, Carol's right. I think about how much I have more or less than you. Yeah, right. And and that will be utterly not a consideration. Correct. Right. Yeah. You can receive the. Um, the talos of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you focus on that, you can rejoice yes. in, in, oh, in the good of another, right. which is where you got to end the covetousness. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us as fallen people. We're struggling, right. wrestling with right that person. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so, but that's, that's, that's where you get free from. God will give us now, so can, can I just say something? Yeah, I, I think of it in terms of loss too, because in this life, he who loses his life will gain his mm-hmm. life. So it's, I don't know. I kind of think you here. You've lost. You've had huge loss here. Here, enjoy. You know, in, enjoy the the gift from your Lord. It may be very particular to your own telos. Yeah. You lost your limb. Here's a farm person. I don't know. Yeah, it could be that way. I think um, it, it's the paradox, therefore, that worldly loss and pain and sorrow becomes the thing that disconnects us from the world and more fully connects us to that which then builds something yeah. that's actually lasting. I think that the, the framework here, I think it's important to talk about fruitfulness and reward. Um, is that if we think about back to Genesis chapter 3 um, after uh, the fall the, the consequence for Adam and Eve Adam it, uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll labor by the sweat of your brow mm-hmm. and then it'll just produce thorns and thistles mm-hmm. that's fruitless labor it, it, it comes back then it kind of connects thematically with the story of Peter fishing on the Sea of Galilee, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, where Jesus says, let's go out again. He says, we toiled all night, we haven't had anything. That's symbolic yeah, yeah. of humanity apart from God, laboring and not getting anything. Mm-hmm. Then Peter, in obedience to Jesus' word, goes out, 
And when he follows the word, it becomes fruitful. So what, what happens to us through baptism and faith, and then I would add obedience, is we're brought into, out of the old creation of futile labor, separate from God, and brought into the new creation in Christ of the Spirit, where we can labor, and we're going to get to a verse at the end of Corinthians, this very passage is going to highlight this, where what we can do can produce things that are eternal. But we all can do it. It's hard for us to get out of the world in which, well, okay, I want to get more than you. <laughs> it's like, no, there's enough yeah. for you. Yeah. And the, the, the kingdom is not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. And the other, thing to, the other thing I think that undermines this is that um, it, 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 we can't in the world get out of the idea that who we are is determined by um, how much wealth we have or how much power we have. And it's, it's funny to me how miserable people make themselves and how much happiness they forfeit because they just think they have to have more. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm being mean with some of my sports habits, but I, you see, I see these, you know, and, and, these, you know, like teams and, and they have the salary cap, I, I even get more money somewhere. So rather than take his $28 million a year contract and stay, he's going to go get a $35 million, you know, and it's like, okay, and then, stay with and your then you're, but why, why did you, you know, why did you do that? Well, the owner, you know, you're mad at the owner who's keeping money from you, you want to look, and, and all of those comparative valuations rob me from just the peace I have. And we gotta look at that in our lives. How often are we like, oh, yeah, I gotta I gotta do what you, I gotta build a church as big as that guy. I gotta do this. I gotta mm-hmm. oh yeah, well yeah uh, but I is my teaching better you know it's like we have to we have to learn to get out of that zero sum competitive environment into a into a thing where I'm doing the best I get rewarded. That's great if you maybe you're natively better at that but there's some other thing where we each have a place, and until we find that place and embrace it, and embrace the place of the other, we're never going to be fully who we are. And, my, and paradoxically, the fullness of the body requires not only that I embrace who I am, but that you embrace who you are. Because if you don't embrace who you are, you're not part of the body, our body's less. Mm-hmm. And so this is the fruitful labor of the kingdom can only be understood in terms of the dynamics of the kingdom. So since we are living and learning how to live in the kingdom here and now, that the fruits of our labor are, are the quote-unquote crowns of glory that we're building toward. So we ought to be satisfied in those now and not think of them in some by and by in the sky type thing, which I think a lot of evangelicals get caught up in. Well, and when you think, when you, because every New Testament teaching on this, when, when, um, when the disciples asked Jesus, he told the parable of the talents. Mm-hmm. God went away and gave you some stuff. He came back and we know, how'd you do with it? How faithful were you? And I think that the, the desire for the spectacular or, um, it really does rob us. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll plead guilty. It's a distraction because we're told, oh, you don't have too much, you could get it. It's like, 
So when it, when it's sitting and see if this this is all actually a life of prayer mm. experiment. Like if you find yourself in that place, you finally get some disconnection from the anxiety around you, and you sit in prayer and you connect in a significant way, and there you are. You know, what you what all, all's good, mm-hmm. happy with it, contented. And we we simply go out there and say. You know what they didn't do, what they have. Look at that. And it's like, and all of a sudden, our mind we're distracted, mm-hmm. and and all those things in the spiritual life are simply distractions that take us away from the the thing that matters. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like the story of Mary Martha, which is misunderstood, uh, uh, and you know. Oh, it me up that a lot of churches have St. Martha's guilds, which end up being very busy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> read the story. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus is not criticizing Martha's work, but her discontentedness. Mm-hmm. That 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 <laughs> that, and this is when you serve. Like so, if you're serving, Be and as you're serving, you think, well, they're not helping. <laughs> you're letting someone else rock. If you have a gift to do with you, the glory of God, and and. Thank you know, and then move on, and then if you see someone able to 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 maybe have some other kind of benefit that is is more passive because they can talk to somebody or something like that. And we often think that like when we have feasts, you know, we have people cleaning up, and like sometimes I get them talking. I'm talking with somebody, and there's a relationship here. This is what I need to be doing. I don't mind working, but if, if we all if we all ran away from that because I feel bad about not helping, yeah. that's that. And, and so sometimes the other way around. Mm-hmm. I've been in places where um, uh, um, actually we have a, a, a group that meets and they all we have small groups, and I tend to clean up downstairs and let the small groups go. Why not? Okay, so we do. I, and and so. We have so this this is this is the idea of the reward. It's your and Saint Paul says this. Henceforth is later for me the crown of righteousness, um, which is laid up for me, and not me only, but all who have loved is appearing. There's crown, plenty of crowns. It's not a, a you know a vault of you know like or the, like the, the hundred forty four thousand you know and, yeah, right. and, and not not any more than that. Yeah. So it, it's it's all this fear. That we have. I'm not. I'm speaking out of my. I'm not. I'm not like you all. I. We all get sucked into this, and it is why we talk so much about the life of prayer because it's only by learning to live in our prayer, when we connect with people where there's a mutuality and appreciation, we can learn to live in this new reality of the kingdom. It's why it is so hard to live fully in the world. Not participate in the life of the church or prayer or connection, and try to live by this. You can't. It's it's virtually impossible. So, good. I think that crown of righteousness, in a way, as that total freedom in righteousness, is that we don't have to battle with sin anymore. It's like. That's that's a crown to me. Well, this this is why, like, we talk about these things. Like, you, so this is like getting back to watchfulness. What you man, like, when you talked to her about earlier, awareness. This is actually at the heart of growth in prayer. Is is an awareness, um, and the awareness is of who we are in Christ, and then um, 
the uh, the Eastern Orthodox call it the logismoi, the the, the 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 thoughts. But the but they think around this and and and, and it'll like see that. Mm-hmm. And and so the key is to be aware of the thought. Oh, I see. There's a temptation. I could be envious here, mm-hmm. and but I can literally say, no, I'm not going to do that. And maybe decide instead to thank God for the good He's given that person. But these are things we have to do. And I think even Jesus' temptation in the wilderness might be conceived of as as a series of thought afflictions. Oh, see, right? No, yeah. He knows where the thought came from. Um, you know, the devil may simply have been there having a conversation, but we're going to experience this in terms of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And if we, um, so the, the key is, is of prayer is growth where we separate afflictive thoughts and emotions from the sense of who we are so we can observe them, even experience them, but not be victimized by them. Yeah. That every time this comes upon me, I need to now go and, and, sat and, and run away. And, and so that's why, um, so growth in prayer is, is that kind of thing. Um, Look, what, this morning, before our morning prayer, I was writing it, I wrote it all down. Understand, you are, and that's what I just did a video on. You are the observer of all that surfaces. You are not that. <laughs> Talking about the same, same thing. Keep, it's a discipline to keep practicing being the witness of it, being the observer. But I love how you say it. It's like prayer is a maturity and growth into that. I can't just make a video and go, do this. You know, it's like practicing, you know. I mean, I can, but it's like, we, right. it's a practice. Well, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a deeper, you know, we, we extend on this a lot of our life discussions. There's a From deeper reality of these afflictive thoughts. They can also be seen as parts of us because, you know, there are um, studies that, you know, that it's neurologically... We have memories and experiences um, that that we could think of as parts of us, mm-hmm. and so sometimes we're situation and, and they might be something here, maybe. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, if in response to past things like that, we habitually had a bad a, a bad so it's called a bad coping mechanism. Yes, <laughs> that that victimizes and I ran off. You know, the maturity means to be able to see this, mm-hmm. to be aware of those, yeah, you, you, and and to be in touch with your pain and there might be some grieving there. But then to say, no, I'm not going to um, let this thing that I'm now experiencing lead me to do something that's wrong. I have an example for people for that. Like that, that'll make it more like down to earth. Is this, this, like I have a bad coping me- mechanism from childhood where it's like you're not enough. I mean, our, all our egotisms can be like, you're not enough, you're not enough. You have to keep, you have to keep trying to jump through this hoop, now this hoop, now this hoop, now this hoop to prove your worth. And I was sitting in the church and I was looking up and I was like, wow, <laughs> like Jesus, God was showing me. It's like, here's Christ on the cross. Was this enough? And I'm like, oh, it, it was. It just dawned on me in this deep way. It was just, and there's the cross right there. It's like, yeah, but when I keep insisting, that's idolizing my childhood, my parents telling me you're not enough, my dad's dad telling him he's not enough, his dad's dad telling him he's not, it's like these generational curses, then I wasn't getting that what Christ did was enough. Like, we could read it, I could have the verses, but and, and I was what, not what, getting that. What I was blocking about that. There is an experience of prayer that, 
So what I, this is why I think we have to be careful not to think that our antidote is to convince ourselves. Yeah. Our antidote is yeah. to, through prayer, enter into the reality of our embrace. Okay. And the more we grow into that reality of, our, of, of, of experiencing Christ with us, the more that becomes a new identity. Because a lot of times people will think about this in terms of, uh, you know, that, that, that when, because you'll, because the, the fact is that you'll, you'll have that, we'll all have that kind of experience. Right. We'll go back out and be tempted again to the very same thing. Right. What you do, what, what we want to do, I think, is develop a new response, a yes. new muscle memory that combats that with a new thing that we've gone through. Right. So I, 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 and that's, and this is why we talk so much about the life of prayer. Because a life of prayer is the experiential embodiment of these truths. Yes, Jesus died for us, that's enough. So we gather to remember his death and literally receive him together as a body mm-hmm. and experience this. And we do it again and again. Why? Because we just keep forgetting. So we just keep doing it until we get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's just yeah. And I find, too, that, you know, like, let's say that thing of envy comes up. It's like, here it is, Lord. You know, and, and sometimes God will take that, and he reframes it for us. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, I know, but I've done this. Yeah, know, and, so, and, and so if we think yeah. of the resurrection as the fulfillment of the moment where what Cheryl yes. bore witness yes. to in a moment is just the way we are always, mm-hmm. then yes. we understand, oh, this thing I want is connected to that moment, and that's how my life gets oriented that way. And all these things that the world might give me to, I'll feel better if I do this, I'll feel better if I do that, are always just sort of buying us off, and they never really solve the problem. Yeah. All right, let's uh, do a little more. <laughs> At least get the credits there. That's all important. Yeah, that's all important. So, um, yeah. It was. It was. I think we were at verse forty-seven. Forty-seven. So the first man, Adam, became a living being. Last man became life. He was spiritual. First Adam, and so Christ is the second Adam. <clears throat> Just as all people in their natural state descend from Adam, so all people in the resurrected state descend from Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is the author of life and resurrection. <clears throat> However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. There's a sequence. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So, interestingly, the origin of Adam came out of the ground and God breathed on him to raise him up. But Jesus literally came down and assumed the body in order to bring us upward. So... In a real way, Christ has the origin from above in a, in a sense which Adam's, Adam's identity came from below. Some meditation it's, we can go further on yeah, is, yeah. is the degree to which, because obviously Jesus had a physical body, but his he is the Son of God, and Adam is, yeah, it's, it's just, that's, that's, a, that's something that you go on for a while. That's <laughs> yeah. a connection of heaven and earth. Yeah. But this is really helpful to, to change the paradigm of how I was reading this. So, so everything you're saying here, it, it is, it's an epiphany for me, anyway. So that's really great. Like that. Good stuff. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> 
It's like God knew we needed to heal our evangelical past. You, not you, not that all of that was bad, like Bishop said. But there was study. So the second man was the Lord from heaven. Okay. As was the man of dust, so also those who made of dust were like Adam that way. Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Remember, O man, that dust thou art, and then to dust shalt thou return. So also those were made who are heavenly. And as we come to Easter, Christ is risen, and we are risen in him. The whole movement from Ash Wednesday to Easter, therefore, summarizing that, that transformation. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. We do bear it, and we will bear it. That's the implication of tense here. Mm. We're, 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 we're becoming what we are. Yeah. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So it seems implicit in there um, that uh, blood is, 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 is the life force corrupted by the fall. Mm. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Mm-hmm. A mystery in the Bible is something hidden, now made known. It's not like, I'm going to tell you something you can't figure out. So the biblical word mystery is related to the Latin word sacrament. A sacrament is something that reveals something. And so he's showing us a mystery. He is revealing to us something that has been unknown, but now he's making it known to us. Just as the, mm-hmm. in the sacrament Behold the Lamb of God. Here is Christ being made known to a tangible thing. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. There's numerous um, little tra- uh, translations from original manuscripts in this, where, but, but, the, but the gist of it is um, we shall not all sleep. I, the sleep here is a metaphor for, for death, where the idea of sleep I think becomes a metaphor for death because when you sleep, you're not dead. And if you have eternal life, you can't die. So you fall asleep, and the sleeping is a separation of spirit from body. So when he says we shall not all sleep, in that sense, it is some people will be alive when Jesus comes, and they won't fall asleep. They will be spontaneously changed. Uh, But we shall all be changed. And we'll get actually this distinction between those who are alive and those who are are, are uh, asleep at the resurrection. We get to the Thessalonians passage as well. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So this this is one of the, you know, this, this idea of an instantaneous transformation, a trumpet. Now we should be aware here that um, where does the trumpet? Well, where does the trumpet come from? God just what is the trumpet? Shofar. It's the yeah, shofar. shofar. It's clearly the yeah. shofar. Yeah. And what was that? That that a place in the Old Testament? <laughs> what? When was it blown? There's a lot of different times with most yeah, of that yeah, one yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. The, wall of Jericho. Yeah, the wall of Jericho. Right. Jericho. Um, um, That's where I went, Jericho. Yeah, really. <laughs> but there's the Feast of Trumpets. Right. Mm. Which is... Well, 
Um, <laughs> Jewish, the Jewish feasts are are are, are grouped oh. spring and fall, okay. and, the, and the spring feast, which we'll work our way through, was Passover, which is for us Easter, um, and then Pentecost, well, Ascension, then Pentecost, and so uh, Passover to Pentecost were feasts mandated in Leviticus and Exodus to be observed, and they're fall feasts. Uh, and it dealt with the grain harvest, um, excuse me, spring feasts. Yeah. The fall feasts are three. They're um, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, the Jewish New Year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, mm -hmm. and then Sukkot, which most Bible or Christian theologians tabernacles, the ingathering of people. It seems that the uh, fall feasts have some pointing forward to the end, mm -hmm. and that the Jewish New Year. I was it was always curious to me because um, they're asking a Jewish Hebrew professor, wait a minute, how is this the Jewish New Year since we're seven months in? She <laughs> <laughs> a lot of New Years, because you know, Passover was the beginning of months for you, mm -hmm. but the idea of the New Year maybe speaks of the beginning of the new creation symbolized by the trumpet. So the people have done better studies on those feasts than I'm going to offer here, but we just should be aware that when St. Paul is talking about these things, he's talking in a very, very distinctly Jewish context, mm -hmm. deeply rooted in the Torah and the, and the story they're living in. And this is, this is also why this whole idea of an embodied salvation is so important, because um, it's historical. Yeah. That is, God made a covenant in the Old Testament with, you know, Abraham, and then it was fulfilled on Mount Sinai. And there's a history that comes, points us historically to Christ, and he fulfills it. And now as we, the, the, the purpose of the church and our liturgies and their tradition were historically connected, and our, our redemption is embodied in the church in her history of which we become part. It's not um, what we call a Gnostic thing, which is very ahistorical. This is what I realized, yeah. I think this might be the, the biggest, I'm not going to, I, I'm not either anti what you might call uh, evangelical or whatever, but there's been a movement, I would say it's not even only among evangelicals, I'd say it's toward a lot of people, there's a more Gnostic understanding, which is, it doesn't really matter whether there's a sacrament of baptism or a sacrament of this, mm -hmm. it just matters the feeling you have in your heart. But, I saw this from yesterday, it's like, where I realized when people think about it, well, Tell me about what your, why your church does these things. That so many Christians have an understanding of the church is utterly unrooted in history. Mm -hmm. right. Their whole understanding is whatever they've experienced in the last 40 years of, yeah. a, of a, just a mega church. It's like, well, there's no understanding that there is a, there's a history mm -hmm. that, that, that leads to something. So it gets taken out of history. Located in just, oh, what's your personal experience? And then the church itself is just creating an experience, not really accountable to the history, but just what will make you all feel good today. I'm going to make you feel good. You feel good, and that's my faith. I'm saved. Well, but that, yeah, what are, how do you, you know that? About this? How do you know that? Well, we know it because 
you know, there's obviously a subjective aspect of embracing Christ by faith, but why are we saved? Well, because on a day in our history, water was poured over us. And that water is a symbol of connection to Christ and his own death and resurrection, which happened historically in time. And so my baptism into him makes me tangibly historically a part of his body that has a real living existence that sustains itself with the heavenly food as waiting for him to come. That's a very, uh, that, that, the, the contemporary is much more disembodied. It doesn't really matter if you do that. What do you, how do you guys want to do it, right? Well, it actually, it matters that there's some faithfulness to what our Lord intended and some connection to the historical reality of, of, of his work. And that's the thing we, um, that, 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 so, and that, so the trumpet here is, so eventually the trumpet of Rosh Hashanah, which um, uh, heralds is fulfilled in, there's a heavenly trumpet, the dead are raised, and the real new year begins. <laughs> and, and, and if we think in fall terms, and all sin is now completely, finally atoned for, Yom Kippur, there's no more. I think there's and like one there's, long horn thing on uh, the Day of Atonement. I just keep remembering that, but I'm not for sure. Yeah, Mugen just says like the there's day a guy atonement. here. There's a actually he's an Anglican guy yeah. named Edersheim who does a lot of studies in the Jewish feasts, and there's a lot of people who do good things. I we could you know that that they're 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 but the the point for us is what we do is fulfillment of what the Old Testament was, which looks mm. forward to yet a final fulfillment. Mm. And, um, which, which is the moment in the twinkling of the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead we raise incorruptible, we shall be changed. Now there's a passage where we get to in Thessalonians, where he says there'll be a, a, a command in a trumpet. Mm. And I think about our Lord, um, in his earthly resurrection, he raised people. Um, he always did it with a command. Lazarus, come forth. Mm-hmm. Little girl, arise. Mm-hmm. To the widow of Nain's son, young man, I say to thee, arise. Mm-hmm. So the Lord, the word of God, issues a command. And because it is the word, mm-hmm. all must obey it. So the trumpet sound, mm-hmm. and it may be just a cosmic command from our Lord, rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all all matter now obeys him because because in the completion of the new creation, um, all things will become subject to him. Mm-hmm. He's now Lord. There's all rebellion is gone. Everything now is back in harmony with the Word. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's it's, 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 it's it's interesting. It's scary and fantastic. My friend Michelin used to think to say that understanding the resurrection is easier if you used to like cartoons or something or fantasy stories or you or science fiction or things that just kind of um, but it's interesting how this yeah but this is well I think what makes this we wrestle with this is it's it's so real. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, 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 the schemas of salvation, people like have a vision of life after death, it's, there's an unreal quality to it. So, oh yeah, we just have this thing, like this is like, no, he's going to, he means to redeem this whole thing, mm-hmm. which means it's all going to change. Whereas that salvation is all, you're just, you're just it's disembodied, it's, 
It's so this is fantastic. Scary. But but real. It should be scary. I don't think you'll always be scared. Continue to be scary though. <laughs> well there'll always be I think there'll be an awe there or something. I, I think there's always um in all love a healthy Mm-hmm. Familiarity and reverence. Yes. I mean, that, that's, yes. that's actually, exactly. I mean, obviously, God is always going to be. Yes. Uh, but More. even with each other, we should have a healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a, you're a human being made in God's image. There's a, yeah, we're together, but I have a right just to treat you without the respect right. due to who you are. Mm-hmm. But that would just be implicit in, in who we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think? Just read it. Read it? Yeah. <laughs> we show this. So the trouble sound, dead will be raised, incorruptible will be changed. This is the change he's talking about from the seed to the finished body. But this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible or perishable is put on incorruption or imperishable, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I believe that's a quote from Isaiah. Isaiah that's what 25, it says. And, um, Isaiah 25. We'll make a note to take a look at that next week. Um, okay. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? This is a, a quote from Hosea. Yeah. Um, so, death, Hades, death, the connection, this condition of spiritual separation from God that results from sin. Hades, the place where those who are in a spiritual separation from God go when they have physical death and their spirits are stuck. Sheol in the Old Testament. And that was the victory that the evil one had, because he could hold people. And there's no way to, to get out of that state of death, because sin kept them captive to death. But Christ, having conquered sin and given us forgiveness and recon- reconciled us with God, now when we die, we, 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 are, we, we have life. We're not stuck. So the victory of in, in the final, in the final um, trumpet, that victory of Christ is made complete. Which, which, which means, and, and this is very important we understand this from a Jewish perspective, that there is no fullness of life that's not embodied. And that's the victory of death and Hades. It's, dis- it's stuck in a disembodied existence not reaching the telos, the completion of creation. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, because the moral law shows us we're sinners. We never rise above it. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this last verse is really significant, because it talks about, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor in the Lord has the eternal reward, a fruit that will be enjoyed when this trumpet sounds and all that you've sowed comes to, to its, its full reality. And the fact that you know that, that you grow into that so that you know that you're, you're, you're the work that you're abounding in the work of the Lord, that gives the satisfaction that the world cannot give. Right. And we have to be, and it, it, it's, it's this perspective undergirds everything that Peter said early in the Easter tide when it was like, you know, you are suffering, keep doing the right thing, mm-hmm. even though you're not going to get rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. Because here That's is the reward. And you can strike back, you can strike back to somebody like wronging you now, and you'll get temporarily feel good about it, but yeah, then right. there, there's that's, that's not the song. Alright, um, so we'll, we'll pick up, next time we'll do the two, pat- we'll, we'll, we'll start with uh, the Colossians passage next time. It'll be Ascension Day next week, too. Oh, so, it's kind of sad about Ascension Day in the sense that the Paschal candle goes away. Yeah. And like, it, when Jesus said, you know, I, I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. I know the Spirit is coming with us, but there's something about yeah. that candle that is every year, it's like, yeah, you're here with us. And you, Let us pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make this face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up this countenance upon us. Give us peace this day and forevermore. Good day with us. Mimi, Victoria. Victoria, how are you you seeing? How are you doing with the eyes? Good? Elizabeth, good to see you. Connie, who was there, but now she's here. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening on the way, and I was listening about people being late. <laughs> I didn't do anything. You talking about me? I was making my video, and I can't see the comment when I do that. And so I was listening. I think, okay.